Hello everyone and welcome to episode 33 of the Talking Fitball podcast with me, Derek Clark. Thank you, as always, for your company. Every week I bring you an exclusive, in-depth interview with some of the most colourful and interesting characters in the game. And this week I had the pleasure of talking to the Aberdeen legend, Brian Irvin. Brian truly is a boy who lived the dream as a Dons fan as a kid. He got the opportunity to star and captain the club and played for them for 12 years, winning the league in Scottish Cup where he scored a winning penalty. He also represented Scotland as well as spells at Falkirk, Dundee and Ross County. A devout Christian, Brian also tells me how his faith has helped him throughout his footballing career and his life in general. It's another fascinating and candid interview, so sit back and enjoy this week's episode of the Talking Fitball Podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of the Talking Football Podcast. I'm delighted to say we're joined on the line this week by former Scotland, Aberdeen, Ross County, Falkirk and Dundee defender Brian Irvin. Brian, thanks very much for joining us. Good morning, Derek. Uh, great for having to be on the programme and uh, delighted to speak to you. Yeah, likewise, Brian. A great career you had in the game. Let's uh, start all the way back growing up. I'd imagine born in Bells Hill, 1965. Is that correct? Yeah, it's a long time ago now, <laughs> 55 now nearly, so, um, <coughs> excuse me, um, a long time ago Derek, but home's always been Aberdeen to me, although I was brought up in the central belt when my, da- when my dad moved out to join the police, um, so the amazing thing is you'll find out with the story as it unfolds, I got a chance to go back to Aberdeen, uh, but as I say, initially I was brought up in the central belt, born in Bell Cell. Uh, but home for me undoubtedly was always Aberdeen. Yeah, but were you always playing football as as a youngster, Brian? Yeah, I mean as long as I can remember, I've always kicked a ball. Uh, funny enough, I thought when I was used to uh, play either on my own or with my friends, I would be a commentator as well. So <laughs> just to do those. So it was it was wonderful. You get the opportunity to do Radio Scotland and Five Live and a little bit locally with Murray Firth here in Inverness in recent years on the radio. So. You know, it's funny how these things happen. You play football as a kid, you know, from way back to whatever that age was, four or five, when you started kicking a ball through your uh, early years, teen years. And as I say, you keep playing with your friends or on your own and you're commentating and, and imagining that you're going to be doing this or that in a football pack, pack. And, and incredibly, when it became an opportunity, when you're an adult, it, it just was incredible. But you just wonder if these... Things you do as a child have an impact. Yeah, it must have obviously. But I think as well, it was just amazing how I used to commentate my games and and uh, play these games, and probably they went a lot better in my imagination, <laughs> than, than, no matter how good a career I was. But uh, you know, it was, it was always fun, a really good fun time. Yeah, and uh, Aberdeen was always always your team, wasn't it? That you supported as a, as a young boy. Yeah, that was the, the thing that people. I mean, there are Aberdeen supporters in the central belt today. But uh, my, my reason for that was just basically like a, a number of people who are relocated. And as I say, I was relocated before we, where I was born with my dad moving down to join the police from Aberdeen, well, a place called Inverurie, just outside Aberdeen, where, where my mum and dad came from. But even then, it's further out in the country. It's just outside Inverurie. Um, it's a place called Pitcapel, and Old Rain was where my mum and dad are from. And so it would have been, I'd have been brought up in the northeast had it, my dad not been uh, allocated to the central belt Lanarkshire as it was at the time yeah. with the police and that's why we were brought up in, in Lanarkshire but all, always every opportunity we grew up visiting my gran and my relatives and I always looked on Aberdeen as my home uh, and that was an incredible thing I didn't I can't as a person choose to play for Aberdeen yeah. amazingly as, again the story will unfold I got the opportunity to sign for my boyhood team and you know that was quite incredible yeah, certainly. Did, were you playing with um, like boys clubs and that sort of thing, Brian? When you were uh, when you were growing up, yeah, yeah, I played with um, Airdrie Boys Club. I remember playing with the Airdrie Boys Club and then a boys club called Craigburn. And then when I left school, I actually stopped playing football for a year when I was sixteen, which uh, fifteen, sixteen. So that probably didn't help with getting a chance to go into football straight from school. Mm-hmm. Because at that stage, you're kind of that's when the scouts are looking at players to try and. Um, Getting to come, come to a club or whatever it, 
it would be, but for me, I, I wasn't even in the, the scene at the time. I don't know what, the reason for that. I think the reason was my my sight, my eyesight, and mm-hmm. problem with my vision. And it turned out obviously I needed glasses. And uh, when I I didn't have con, this is way back. We're speaking the eighties. Yeah. Contact lenses were invented, obviously, but not quite as disposable or easily to get hold of in those days. So mm-hmm. I didn't have contact lenses, so I, I didn't basically see the ball properly. So perhaps Oof. that was the reason. Because I can't think back now. Why did I give up football? Fifteen, sixteen. I just stopped playing. So then I got back playing with my school team in my fifth year at school. And that's where I signed for, I got involved with a team called Victoria Park um, and really enjoyed that. And I was only there a couple of months before I got spotted and picked up by a Falkirk scout mm-hmm. and invited along for a trial and, and, and then I, I eventually signed for Falkirk. Joining Falkirk as a youngster and that sort of thing, were you, were you sort of there as an, an apprentice? Was there all just sort of more experienced pros helping you at all there? Oh yeah, very much so. And that, that's what, what it was. I didn't know it was an apprentice position I was doing but that's basically what it was you know you're learning about life you're learning about the game there was people like Jimmy Dempsey uh, Alan Machen was the club captain at the time um, and and a guy from used to be at Celtic unfortunately passed away now Brian McLaughlin mm-hmm. so these experienced guys <coughs> who played with Falkirk Billy Lamont was the manager at Falkirk who signed me uh, really stood me in good stead for, for grounding in the game that, that stuck by, by me and like stuff when I eventually got to Aberdeen I then got the, the greatest um, grounding you can get under Alec Ferguson so all these things knowingly or unknowingly were just getting inputted into your, your makeup and your character mm-hmm. to help you to establish yourself and hopefully develop as a football player in your career um, as I say most of it was probably unconscious at the time. It's only now when you're older looking back, you think that's what it was. That was my apprenticeship. That's when I learned the important things in football that have stood, that stood me in good stead for the career that I eventually had. Yeah, and, and were you always a defender, Brian? Was that always the position that you played? <clears throat> no, that's a good question because it was uh, started off as a, in the parks when I'm commentating with my friends. <laughs> as a, a striker. <laughs> um, then when I got a game with a, a team in the like nine, ten year old, it was midfield, and then eventually it became clear that maybe wasn't good enough to be a striker, wasn't good enough to be a midfielder, I'll be a defender. So <laughs> I, I made my way back just through ability. Really, I think I was more my, my, uh, as I grew up as well, a, a, a bit of height. I'm nearly six yeah. foot three, so it was more suited to be a, a defender. So. But I, always, I played anywhere and everywhere and, and the and funny thing was my professional career, I played every position and from the striker, mm-hmm. I used to be thrown up at the end or or um, a goalkeeper. Yeah, yeah, I played right about was, that. <laughs> there was no, there was no sub, substitute goalkeeper, so I had three games in, in the first team and a goalkeeper <laughs> um, saved a penalty at Hibs at Easter Road one day, so... I've got a few stories about goalkeeping, but uh, they wouldn't happen now because your goalkeepers are all yeah. on the bench along with the outfield players now. So I managed to get three in my time because it, it was before the, the, the goalkeeping substitute. Uh, but no, I was always I always liked just playing anywhere, but it became more clear with my height and fit, maybe my physique as I developed and turned into a man was more suited to being a central defender. Just somebody, one of his headers, mm-hmm. one of his tackles, and then when I get the ball, I basically gave it to somebody who could do a bit more with it than me. And and that was that was my, my, my philosophy in a game. Just win your balls, win your tackles, and then pass it to somebody like Jim Bett. Oh, yeah, what a player he was. So, yeah. yeah, some great midfielders at Aberdeen in my, in my time, which was great to play alongside. So you would give it to them, and they would do something that, with the ball that I would, I'd won the tackle. That was my job then. Yeah. Uh, you played at, at Brockville, of course. What what did you make of the, the, the old ground there at Falkirk? Oh, yeah, good memories. I played at Brock, uh, Brockville with Falkirk and obviously went back in, in uh, later years with Aberdeen, Ross County, Dundee. Uh, Falkirk as well against Falkirk but I mean it was obviously a, it's just a tradi- it was a traditional f- Scottish football ground it's no mm-hmm. longer there it's now a, a supermarket I think when yeah. I pass through Falkirk now but my memories were all very positive and um, you know we used to train around the track for the part time training after working a, a ch- Tuesday and a Thursday mm-hmm. and uh, so you know you I think it was a Tuesday. Yeah, Tuesday was the running night, so you'd run round the Ash Track, 
very old school. You know, yeah. that, was just tra- that was the training. There was no real sports science involved. It was just, it was one of a couple of nights. One night I came from, I worked in the bank and I, I had a black pudding supper for my tea. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I, then I, I didn't do it again, but I, I didn't realise the training was going to be so heavy on the Tuesday, and that black pudding supper came up in the track, <laughs> unfortunately. So that was just the way, the way of training in those days. Yeah, um, you, you, I was reading as well that you, you became a Christian when, when you were at Falkirk. How did, all, how did all that come about? Yeah, just after, well, just, it was actually the time when I just left Falkirk. I was just getting that decision where to move and it looked as if I was going to go to Charlton in London they, I yeah. went a, a, a tournament to Dusseldorf in Germany and played in a under 20 tournament for Charlton and, and they, their manager was keen for me to sign but and, and I wasn't sure uh, what to do so I met him in Bath down in England yeah. on my way back from a holiday was it in Devon and what what transpired was just that when I spoke with Billy Lamont he said don't rush into anything don't do it and they were keen for me to move on and progress as a player so that they were happy for me to go to Charlton or wherever I was going to go but Billy Lamont, my manager at Falkirk was advising me mm. and keeping me right and he said oh don't do anything yet because we've also got another offer from and he knew Alec Ferguson at the time from Aberdeen so they've been watching you as well so once I heard Aberdeen were interested there was no competition yeah. it was like this background you we spoke about my Aberdeen connection and then how can you mention Aberdeen want to sign me? This is like too good to be true. And this is just before I was I was thinking about spiritual things, about my whole point in life, what's mm-hmm. life all about. Um, and, you know, this was, a, 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 for me at that time in my life, just such a clear answer. Well, here you go. Here's a chance to do something. I was working in the bank, but now there's a chance to do something that's a little bit more... You just love doing, and I wanted yeah. to do that. I felt God was saying to me, so I just... The understanding how this God as a boy was somebody I believed in and prayed for in emergencies or trouble, but this just seemed to make it more personable and more real. And so I started reading the Bible, started going back to church, and started getting more involved, going to church membership classes until I came to that point where I realised I needed a, a relationship with God. And so I took that step of faith and accepted uh, Jesus as my, as my Lord and Saviour. Mm-hmm. And so that was all at the same time as I then signed for Aberdeen and so woof, life was really always happening and um, from the Aberdeen day I remember going up to Aberdeen uh, my, my, my family are still living in here at the time my cousin was down visiting us and so I had to go up with him on our way back this was in the summer he was going home to Aberdeen after being down staying with us for the week and he dropped me off at Petaudry and that was me dropped off. And I, I often passed this point just uh, just outside behind the Mertland Road stand where he dropped me off at his work. Um, and he said, all the best when you're going to speak to, to Alec Ferguson, as he was at the time, that's Sir Alec. Um, and I often pass that part, even today, thinking 35 years ago or whatever it is now, when he was dropped off at that point, I had no idea what was lying ahead. Yeah. And, you know, what's happened is it's happened both in my Christian life, my spiritual life, and my, just my, my life. And it's been an adventure, and, and it was an exciting time at, at that point. Um, and some of the things that happened were amazing. They're all good. Some are good, some are bad, some are tough. But, you know, it's been an adventure. And it's, it was, uh, as I say, I really think of that point I passed where my, my, my cousin dropped me off to, to go in and meet Sir Alec for the first time in the to start my, my career at pre-season the next day at Aberdeen when I went went for training the next day and thinking, well, I just didn't know what lay ahead at that point. And, you know, it's quite exciting now, obviously 35 year plus years later, looking back at how life unfolded from that point. Yeah, it certainly is. So you're there in, in Sir Alex as well. Sir Alex now is, is a manager. What was he like as, as a coach to play under, Brian? Yeah, I think just... Um, understandably everybody would imagine he must be the best because he, he did the bit he, his, his career has spoke for itself and he was for me even I was two years under him before he left for Manchester United um, but I saw the I saw the softer side of Sir Alec because he was very difficult very hard quite um, hair dryer we all know that mm-hmm. association with him but he would know that some people needed that some people didn't and I was more a type of character although I'm a tough tackling centre half or whatever but you know if somebody gave me a, a roasting 
it, it wouldn't necessarily get the best out of me because I'm not that type of person as a character. So mm-hmm. he would realise you needed a, a softer approach, and and he he was very good. There was a time he wouldn't have to give you a a, a, a bollocking like any other player, but there was most of the times it was that gentle persuasion, and that's that was a quality of Sir Alec. He was he was able to identify what individual players made them tick, what made them. Uh, respond more positively or get the best out of them and and he could identify he needed a, a strong hand or he needed a hand around the shoulder and that that for me is, is I think his great strength um, he's got other qualities about him but you know he just was a great man manager um, and you know there's no getting away from what he achieved in the game there's nobody come close to equaling his uh, level of, of management that's um happened over his career which is incredible kept in touch with you if you needed help you would always be at the end of a phone call even when you were you know you'd maybe met about a thousand more people in a similar position from Manchester United and things like that over the years he would still get back to you if you had a problem or an issue you wanted to phone him eventually through his secretary Lynn or, or through him directly he'd phone you and, and get back to you and so that shows the quality of the man that he, he really cared for individual players that he had under his wing if you if you're a player under Alec Ferguson he made sure that you know you would literally uh, do anything for him and that's that's the quality that I guess a manager has to try and aim to <clears throat> you won't maybe get it to the Alec Ferguson standard but I suppose good managers today have to have, have all got that where players really want to play for their manager, and that's what Alec Ferguson did. Every player really played for him, even the ones that didn't like him still wanted to play for him. I'll show yeah. him, I'll prove him wrong. So he got everybody playing for you and improving their game. And you know, Aberdeen will never repeat probably the, the, the standard that they had under Alec Ferguson in the 80s. And, how how good the, the the supporters just take it for granted how successful it was at the time, yeah. And unfortunately, it'll probably never be as good again. European Cup winners' cup, two league titles, Scottish Cups, League Cup. You know, he he got to a standard that it's you can't really think how can Aberdeen get results and win trophies like that year in year out. Um, he got it from the, the group of players and got the very very best out of them. Yeah, he certainly did, and, and he had a, a great calibre of player there as well. Of course, uh, Alex McLeish and, and Willie Miller were there as the, the two centre-half pairing. Brian, what were they like? To, did you learn a lot from them too? Yeah, very much from them both, more so from Alec. I played 10 years with Alec. Willie was a little bit less because he was coming towards the end of his playing career. Uh, obviously, played under Willie, uh, who was a manager for Aberdeen and, and enjoy it. I think Wally as a manager got the best out of me because I always felt I had to prove myself to Wally yeah. um, to keep myself in the team which is helpful I mean what I say about managers have to get the best out of players whatever way whether it's uh, oh I love my manager or whether it's oh I need to show him right I'll show him I'm worthy of my place in the team both people have got the same goal of staying in the team and playing their, their best and so the manager's getting the best out of that player so with Wally it was more a case of under him as a manager I was having to prove myself to Wally uh, and I played probably two or three seasons under Wally as regular as any other time in my Aberdeen career because again whether it was Gary Smith whether it was John Ingalls it was a man player at the time I was having to play to keep my place ahead of these guys and if I played well one week I couldn't take it for granted I'd be okay for next week I would have to work hard in training and prove myself for the next game so under Wally, it was it was I think it was I got some of my best games in my Aberdeen career uh, under Wally, and alongside Alec as a player, I definitely learned a lot because he, he Alex a different character. Alec is is a successful management career, and that's down to a similar thing with Sir Alec Ferguson, where he's got good management man management skills, and he he's a a people person, and Big yeah. Alec was like that as a player, and so Alec was a great friend. And also, I think people don't realise how good a player he was. He was a great defender, but he was also a great football player. Um, so, I mean, again, I've learned a lot from Alec at training and practice after training and, and extra stuff we were doing. And Alec would keep me right. And, you know, again, Alec Ferguson, as, a, as my manager, I learned a lot under. But people like Alec McLeish, I learned an awful lot that helped me again throughout my career. Yeah, certainly. Can you remember making your, your debut at Aberdeen? Yeah, the well, the actual competitive debut was at Clyde Bank 
a six 0 win in the last game of the season just before the nineteen eighty six Scottish Cup final. Yeah. And again, this is where Alec Ferguson's man management comes into it. He, uh, and no way was I going to be playing in the cup final next week against Hearts. But he played me uh, in the last game against Clyde Bank just to give me to rest Wally and Alec for the, the cup final the following week. But as a reward for getting that progression from the reserves into the first team to play my debut in the first team and getting a good, not me, but the team getting a good result against Clyde Bank that day in the cup final at Hearts the following week. Again, there's only two subs sitting in, sitting in the bench basically at hand, yeah. as opposed to the state the, the the dugouts now. But um, he had me on the bench, not 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 listed or as a sub, but just the, the experience of sitting in the bench watching the game rather than sitting up in the stand or, or watching it on television. So that again gave me such a boost, and I felt that season when the summer came to, around that you thought, what a good season I've had that one game. First one competitive game was the week before the season finished. I was on the bench in the cup final, and she had, you're just bursting ready to go for the next season. And again, that's where the qualities of Alec Ferguson come in. That he gets the best out of players. He got the best out of me, and gave me that hunger to 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 try and improve myself for the you know progress in the game. And it was a 1986 World Cup. I think Sir Alec was involved with Scotland at the time in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So and well, I think picked up an injury. And so I've, I managed to get my about nine or ten games at the start of the following season, the first team, before Alec and Wally were back playing and I was a, a sub or playing different positions, basically, to try and get a game and, and, and helping my own game improve as well. So that's how, that's how again, when you look back, your career developed and, and developed under the wisdom and guidance of somebody like Alec Ferguson. Um, and, and definitely you can see... That, the how that worked and how good it was to do that rather than throw you in and then pull you out and you don't play a game for another six months or you put you in and play for about 20 games and you have a, a nightmare after three or four and it, it maybe ruins your confidence mm-hmm. they know when to take you out when to put you in and Alec Ferguson was was, was spot on at that and, and you know great memories of my breaking through into the team and getting nurtured if you like that's a good word nurtured really yeah. into the first team and that's how they, you know he did that for me and I'll never never be able to thank him for it because that's where it, if it had been 10 games then back to Falkirk or back to the central belt and you've had an experience I'd have held my hand up and said that's wonderful what a joy I've had but it turned out to be 12 years and 480 odd games so you know I'm, I was just so thankful for been gr- properly groomed and looked after in the early days, you know, by my, my manager. And that's you asked about Alec Ferguson. That's how you couldn't speak highly enough of him. When the time came that, that he left to go to Manchester United, Brian, did it come as a, a shock to the players? And were you disappointed to see him go? <clears throat> yeah, I, I remember the day he left. We were training with the young, I was training with the young boys in the afternoon, and in in uh, in Taggart, who was the club secretary at the time, came up, drew up in his car at Seaton Park and took him away. Um, we thought, that's funny, something happened. Uh, something that doesn't normally happen. And it turned out, obviously, we found out later that night that he was away to speak to Manchester United and he never came back uh, to Petardre to, to say farewell to the group as a whole. He probably individually spoke to people on phones and had meetings uh, with individuals. But as a group, we never heard from him again. So the last I saw him was a Tuesday afternoon at uh, reserve team training session at Seaton Park wow. uh, and Ale- Archie Knox took over for the game on the Saturday I think it was against Clyde Bank again uh, they won 5-0 but uh, if I remember right but you know that that's just how quick it was he obviously went away with Ian Taggart in the car back to Petaudry flew down to Manchester that day and probably agreed to, to take over from Ron Atkinson who was a Manchester United manager before um, and uh, yeah. you know, Manchester United weren't quite the team they are today, but certainly under Sir Alec, they've become the team they are today. But you know, they were they were certainly they struggled a little bit early on when he first went there. But his management skill won through in the end, and you know, went through big time. Yeah, it certainly did. Uh, you touched on the uh, the cup final. You were involved in, in some notable cup finals, of course. Uh, some clashes against Rangers in, in eighty eight and eighty nine. What were they like? You, you came on as a sub, was that right? Against uh, against Rangers in those two seasons. 
Yeah, a couple of substitute appearances against Rangers, and then a, a substitute appearance against Rangers in 90, 89-90 as well when we won it. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think as an Aberdeen fan, being involved as a sub that day against Rangers when we won at the League Cup, I think I was last in line to go up and so of course you had the cup and you walked down from the, the presentation area with the cup before you pass it on to the other players and you know that that was a highlight for me thinking wow this is my boyhood team and I'm now holding a, a, a league cup yeah. trophy and just like pinch yourself and if I thought that was good of course it was going to get even better as the season kept going and I was playing regular by then and, and uh, towards the end of the season and, and having a good Scottish Cup campaign um, scored a couple of goals I think, against Hearts in the quarter-final then the United in the semi-final and then in the final against Celtic when it finished 0-0 and went to penalties I had no idea how it was going to unfold there and the guys who had the real pressure on them were the sudden death guys the big Alec <laughs> Stuart McKimmy David Robertson who had to hit the goal, hit their penalties because at that stage Celtic were first, they'd scored, if we missed it was Celtic's Cup. They were always having to score to keep us in it. But when I went forward, uh, Theo had made a great save from Anton Rogan, tipping the, the, the shot round the post. So I'm in a win-win situation. I'm last to hit a penalty before we go back to the goalkeepers. And, um, you know, uh, nervous, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, wonderful position to be in because it's a win-win and you spoke earlier in the, the interview about my, my faith, I prayed as I walked forward, not that God would help me score the goal but just that God would be with me and that, that was a real sense of God's presence in terms of peace and a nervous situation and a frightening situation that brought, I can remember getting this feeling of peace and calm um, and just going forward and, and as I say, it wasn't to say God help me score this penalty you know, you can't ask God to be a, a Aberdeen supporter rather than a Celtic supporter. Obviously, that's, that's <laughs> belittling your faith. But, you know, just to be with me and whatever happens will be. And thankfully for me, I'd managed to keep my composure and, and put it away and put Pat Bonner the wrong way. And, and, and you know, scoring a winning penalty for Aberdeen is it's probably a unique situation, um, which is why it's so special. And, um, Wow, I'm thinking it was great lifting the cup in the League Cup earlier in that season as a substitute. Um, but this obviously was a whole different level and, and that was fantastic. That that probably is the highlight of my career, to be honest. Yeah, I was going to ask that. Um, you touched on your faith, of course, but when when, when you saw the penalty nestle into the, the back of the net, what's the overriding emotion there? Can, can you keep your emotions in check or is it just one of sort of euphoria? Yeah, yeah, euphoria, joy. Joy is a good word because uh, it's just like wow, and then and then as time unfolds, you know, you, you reflect on things that you didn't think of at the time. There's only one or two things you can think of when the ball hits the back of the net. It's like as you say, first and foremost, just absolute joy, relief. Yeah, maybe even relief because I'm not a, I wasn't a confident penalty taker, so relief that the ball had went in the net. Um, but I think joy, and when I, of course we were very fortunate that it was in the Aberdeen end. So when I remember looking up. At the Aberdeen supporters, there's about twenty thousand at the in the end behind the goal, and just seeing all the people jumping up, the hands moving, and you know, just thinking, wow. As an Aberdeen fan who would probably be in the terrace if I could choose to be, had been in the past at Aberdeen games, but now that I'm a professional player, I'm actually on the pitch, getting this chance to do what every one of the, the fans would have would obviously uh, dream of doing. Um, I, I think that's just something I'm so th- I was so thankful for, and I'm very thankful for that privilege. I got that opportunity to be a fan on the pitch. Most fans, if they tried to do what I did, would be arrested for, for <laughs> going somewhere they shouldn't be. But I got the chance to 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 wear the strip and get do some amazing things. And this was probably, as I said earlier, the, the most amazing, uh, unique one because. You know, hitting the winning penalty in the Scottish Cup final for Aberdeen uh, is, is is hard to beat. To be honest, Derek. yeah, yeah, I would imagine so. And it's, it's amazing that it's, it's, they've not won the, the trophy since then, hasn't it? You, I'd imagine when you won it, then you wouldn't. I'd imagine it would take so long for them, um, but they've still not won it to 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 win that yeah, trophy th- again. Yeah, it's thirty years ago, nineteen ninety. So no, but I, I do think 
I've always had a realistic uh, view on that, that because out with the old firm, the clubs, Hibs, Hearts, Aberdeen, you know, teams like that, have not have, have no real uh, right. You might win it once or twice over that time. Yeah. But, you know, there's, there's no divine right to, to, to win. And I mean, I said there about the Alec Ferguson era, we're spoiled by Aberdeen winning these trophies quite regularly. That won't happen in the future. So I think I always get asked if Aberdeen get through the latter stages, you know, do you think they'll win it this year and end that record since I haven't won it for near well, 30 years now? I always say no. I think it's the will win it one day, but it's not a given right for no. a, a provincial club. And, and you know, the United, you know, the mother, these teams may or may not have that, that opportunity. It's hard enough getting to the final, as Aberdeen have managed to get to the final, but can't over that final hurdle. There's, it's not easy for the, the teams out with Rangers and Celtic. The Scottish Cups that the Aberdeen um, Hearts, not so much this season Hearts, but the Hibs, you know, these best chances of winning a trophy because the league's just that little bit beyond them at the moment with the finance that Rangers and Celtic have the, to take themselves to a different level. The cup and on the day can you can anybody can you know say anybody can win the cup on the day, but you've still got to overcome at some point Rangers or Celtic yeah. to win it. You know, so it's not easy. And so, yeah, I would never have thought it'd been so long, but it, it is, and, and it could go for longer. Um, but there's one thing I'm sure in, in the future Aberdeen will win it again, but it's just always the. Um, it might not be this year because there's no given right for a, a provincial, if you like, I call it out with the old firm, you call every cl- club a provincial club to win the Scottish Cup. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in terms of the league championship, Brian, I know you you came mightily close, uh, well, five seasons in a row you finished uh, runners-up to, to Rangers, but I mean, the closest you came to that league championship was that, that epic game in, in 1991. Um, is that one of the disappointments of your career that you couldn't get over the line there? Or what was that what like? Is it an occasion to play in? Yeah, I think that, that would probably be the biggest disappointment professionally on the field. Um just purely the footballing. Uh, yeah, well, that would be the biggest disappointment. There was another game we played Rangers in the Scottish Cup final in '93, and I had a ah, yes. deflected, deflected goal off me uh, um, and led to a 2 1 defeat against Rangers. So that was a personal disappointment that day. I remember the high of the 1990 Scottish Cup final you speak about, and then in '93 I had a deflected goal that. I, I was hard myself and I just thought it was an own goal and I've cost the team today. So, you know, that's a high of it. The Scottish Cup in 90, but the low in 83 in the, the Cup final against Rangers at Parkhead because Hamden had been redeveloped. Mm-hmm. So that was a disappointment. But I think the overall disappointment was losing the league because we'd done so well to get ahead of Rangers in the last game. But it was a tough, tough game to go to Ibrox. To, we just needed a draw. But even then, you still go to Ibrox to get that draw. Um, would be hard and we had a chance early on but Rangers also on the day played played well and got, got a couple of goals to beat us 2-0 and, and managed to win the league and had we won it of course Rangers wouldn't have had nine in a row had, I yeah. think it was the fourth or fifth uh, title in a row they had they were always run Rangers close um, Celtic were, were obviously rebuilding and they weren't the team they were today um, so it was just Rangers and Aberdeen were the two two teams at the time, and that was that was the biggest football disappointment that we lost out on. on. And I remember, you know, the team bus going back up the road, Big Alec and myself, and sitting at the back of the bus, just you know, really, really low. Um, and it's just one of these things you've just got to pick yourself up and go on. But it was it was that was a big big disappointment. If if, if you, no doubt about it, just the occasional Scottish Cup. Defeat or cup final defeat, as I said there, the '93 game against Rangers was personally was disappointing, but that was a definite low point football wise, losing the the league in '91 to Rangers at Ibrox. You also played the when they won eight in a row at Ibrox. Of course, you scored the the opener in that game, but then Paul Gascoigne then yeah. scored a hat trick. What was that like to play in, Brian? Obviously, Rangers fans reminisce and, and they obviously think that it was a great day for for them and, and for Paul Gascoigne in particular. But was, when you're on the park and things like that, and you you're facing a guy like that is it is it difficult to deal with yeah difficult but also i think again 
especially now you're looking back and when you see little clips of it or, but even initially when you look back you thought that was just a, a game I was quite happy to be involved in because it was you know Paul Gascoigne you don't like an opponent who you're trying to stop but when they perform in, in a showing skill that you can, there's nothing you can do and I'm, I'm speaking here about a Rangers player or a Celtic player I've always had a, a, a great admiration of people's ability and when somebody yeah. just turned it on in the day, you know, you've got to just hold your hand up and say, that's incredible. So it was a, an amazing day for Paul Gascoigne and Rangers won their eighth title. But, you know, credit to him because you can't just make that happen. It, it's great skill to make it happen. And you, he was unstoppable that day. Um, and so I suppose he's grudging admiration without a doubt to watching it we'd done our job I think as far as we could that season to try and finish second we couldn't yeah to, to get a point or something to, 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 to get up level with them it was just job that job already been done and just give a good account of yourself on that day and then at the same time when when you see people like Gascoigne Loudrop turning it on you actually think well it's quite amazing the skill I saw first hand uh, today from these opponents um, and you've got to admire you know it's great to overcome your opponent but if your opponent gets the better of you you just have to as I say hold your hand up and say well done and congratulations and it was fin- fantastic skill from Paul Gascoigne that day there's no doubt about that yeah certainly um, in 95 as well you had a bit of a scare with it uh, diagnosed with, with multiple sc- uh, sclerosis Was it, that must have been a, a tough time for you yeah we're speaking about losing the league uh, in '91 to Rangers, but that's perspective puts it into perspective that that was a different level, um, and that was a wake up call and a um, you know just one of these light bulb moments in life. A bit like having a faith when I came to faith. It's one of these things that puts things in perspective, and you know when you lose what you take for granted, your health, you realise that's an important thing in life, and so, but. You know, I've just been so thankful. Um, MS or cancer and things like that have got all different degrees. And I've been very thankful that my condition's been manageable over the years. And the mental side of it, in terms of taking each day as it comes and being thankful for each day, I've tried to do that and tried to be thankful for my health each day. And, and that's all we can be. You know, I, as a football player, took my health for granted, thinking, well, I'm Superman, I'm fit, I'm whatever, I'm not, you know, and so just an instant you realise you had nothing that you could rely on, it would, but if you've got your health today, just enjoy it, and, and that's what I've, that's the attitude I have now, and, and I've always had since that day, uh, I wasn't blatantly being, taking my health for granted before, but I did feel as a, an athlete, I was fit, strong, young at the time, um, you know, this, this is forever, but it's not, and that's, that's the thing. I don't know. I'm trying to say it. I don't know how well I've put that across, but that's yeah, what yeah, I yeah. learned from that experience. It's you know you've got to be thankful for for things in life, uh, even the little things in life, and just enjoy enjoy the moment, enjoy the enjoy the day. And as I say, if, if I'm well today, I'm thankful. And then go to, go to bed tonight, and we'll hopefully have a, we'll see what tomorrow brings. But you know, just be thankful for your health each day. That's the way I, I look at things now, Derek. Yeah, it's a good outlook on life, Brian. And whilst you you were at Aberdeen, of course, you got the the call up to the national team as well. You played nine times for Scotland. It must be a yeah. it must be proud for you that you, you pulled on the, the the navy blue shirt. Yeah, that, it's amazing. When I can say I've played nine times for Scotland. But I always like it. Like you've just said that I played nine times for Scotland, Derek. When someone else says it, that's that brings it home. I, I again go back to the parks as a boy playing with my friends. I was playing for Scotland. I was winning the World Cup for Scotland, but that never happened in reality. <laughs> but, you know, to get, as you say, the chance to pull, pull the jersey on and, and play in some great great games. Uh, I remember playing against Italy with Roberto Baggio yeah. uh, up against us wow. and, and Hulett, Ruud Hulett with Holland and uh, Jürgen Klinsmann with Germany uh, at Ibrox. Uh, I wonder if they're staying somewhere today that they've once played against Brian Irvin. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so, but I'll name drop like that. But, you know, that, that's uh, the level of player I was able to get up against when I was playing for Scotland and playing some of the games in the European games we played. And, um, great experiences and a whole new level again, you know. And, and again, I think to tie it all together, 
I was really fortunate that Aberdeen uh, was used, Petardu was used a couple of times for the games I played against Estonia and Switzerland um, because they hadn't been redeveloping the time I was involved. I was involved in the Scotland squad between 90 and 93. Yeah. And something that was when Hamden was being rebuilt. So they were having to play the home games at Leicester Parkhead, Ibrox, or Petaudry around the country. And so to me, to get a chance as an Aberdeen fan to play for Scotland against Switzerland and Estonia, uh, as I say, was amazing. You know, that, that that's the ultimate dream come true, to get the chance to play for your, play for your uh, country at your boyhood team's stadium. Yeah, it <laughs> doesn't get much better than that. That's, that's what I'm saying. You know, I could be, I, you could be speaking here to uh, the best player in the world today, for example. But he, he won't get any better moment than what I had in, in those experiences and, and that privilege. And it's all mindset. It's about how I took it, and I, I just couldn't be thankful enough again to get that opportunity to represent my country at Petardry. That was the ultimate. Have you kept any? Did you get managed to exchange any shirts with anyone, or have you get your, your caps up in your in your house somewhere? Oh yeah, yeah. These these, these are your prized possessions, you know. So your caps and your your, your strips, they're, they're they're safely tucked away. Unfortunately, most of them, the the strips are up in the loft, so it's only occasional visits up to the loft to to hold them up one night and and kind of reminisce, but. The, the caps, I've got a couple framed in my house. Um, and also caps, I, I don't think, I think it's different now, but in my day, you didn't get a cap for every game. Uh, it was one mm. cap per season, unless it was... Ah, was it? Yeah, well, yeah so, so... But I did okay. I, I, I played, as you say, nine caps for Scotland. I've actually got six caps, because a couple of them are friendlies. So you got one cap per season um, to cover your games unless it was a competitive game like a Euro Championship or a World Cup qualifier, but any friendlies, you would only get one per season. So I played Austria. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head the other games, for example, but we played a number, a couple of friendlies. And so you would only get the one cap for those. But I only, first of all, three years I played, my friendlies were all each year. So I, I basically got a cap for every game, but yeah. it turns out I've got six caps actually physically. Um, so I've got two framed, and they're, they're on the wall, and you know they're, they're obviously getting a little bit faded now because they're nearly thirty years old, <laughs> no, 20, 20, 30 years, sorry, thirty years ago. So yeah, they're a little bit faded, not quite like you see in a museum where it's turned from blue to like <laughs> light blue or something, but they're getting faded. And of course nowadays, I think when you get a cap or the name of the team you played against and the date, the date means are are just basically blue caps with uh, yellow braiding. Uh, but again, pride of place, real a real honour to have such a, a thing um, yeah. in your possession. Yeah, Scotland qualified for well, they were qualifying for tournaments back then in the nineties. They qualified for uh, for Euro ninety two. But were you close to making that squad at all, there, Brian? Yeah, but I didn't make the finals. But what I did is I played my part in the the build up because and Andy Roxburgh. I always remember having been interviewed in the time and when Scotland had qualified to go to, to the Euros that, that year. And he gave credit to somebody like myself who came in. I played only one game in that qualifying campaign. It was my first cap against Romania when we beat Romania 2-1. Yeah. And of course, that game would have helped to, with the points. Well, I don't know if it was two or three at the time you got for winning the game, but you know, it would have helped us to qualify. And Andy Roxburgh had made, made the point that people at like Brian Irving came in, did their job, Slipped back out. Like it was Richard Goff, Big Alec, Dave McPherson that maybe took my place that were ahead of me at the time in t- terms of playing in the team. Uh, but I had played my part, and I always remember Andy giving me the credit for that, and I thought that was good management from him. Um, so, yeah, I played that game against Romania at Hamden in the first game. There's a few call-offs. I get called into the team, played alongside Big Alec, and we, we managed to beat Romania 2-1, and, and it was... Ended up qualifying for the the Euros, I think, in Sweden in '92. Yeah. But but we just missed out in '94 in the World Cup. That game I spoke about uh, before with the game against Italy. That was in the Olympic Stadium in Rome when we lost three one. Italy had to beat us to they, if they, when they beat us, they qualified for the the World Cup final in America. And it was a tight game, two one most of the game. But then late on, Italy got the third to clinch it. 
and the roof was raised at the Olympic Stadium with the fanatical Italian fans and yeah. the atmosphere there was quite uh, amazing, I remember that. Uh, so Italy went through and of course they did well, they, they ended up losing the final at Brazil in penalties. So, you know, it just defined lines at, at the time that, that Scotland, the, I think the, the reason we didn't qualify that campaign but helped me because I got in after that was the 5-0 defeat in Portugal. I remember watching that on the TV, and that's when McCoy broke his leg, wasn't it? McCoy broke his leg. Richard Goff and Dave McPherson had disagreement with uh, Craig Brown and, and you know the management uh, at Scotland at the time, and so they then didn't play anymore. But then that opened the door for me to come in as a centre half, and alongside Colin Henry, yeah, I came in and started. He played more than me, but you know that was his first game was in Estonia alongside me. Um, that was how I got the chance to come in. But and we picked up the points. We beat Estonia. We beat I think a draw against Switzerland. Um, and then that game in Italy. I don't can't remember if we to win it as well to, to try and qualify. I think qualification was away from us at that time. But Italy certainly had the if they could win, they were qualifying, and and that's what they did. So um, yeah, fine lines between. Uh, even today, between Scotland qualifying and not qualifying. And, um, but it was more regular that Scotland would qualify for tournaments at the time than it is today. But just like I'm saying, Aberdeen will win the cup one day. I'm, Scotland will qualify again one day for 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 the championship, whether it's this this year of the Euros or whether it'll be in the, the World Cup next time, and and you know things like that. It's just it just was more normal and regular that Scotland qualified for 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 um, tournaments in the past. Whereas now it's more difficult. It's definitely more difficult, Derek, because the teams are more, the quality is better from other teams. And so it's more difficult, if you like, now, I think, without a doubt, now to qualify than it was back back in back in the day. Yes, yeah, it certainly is. Let's hope that they change that this year for the Euros in, in the summertime. Um, going back to Aberdeen, Brian, you left, of course, in, in, in 97. Were you sad to leave the club after spending so long there? Yeah, that, that's... I mean, you're speaking about football and you're speaking about the highs, but you also speak about the lows. And you know, you're definitely hitting a few low low points here for me. And, and I, I'm not saying that's that's wrong of you. That's just life. That is the way football works. And you know, the disappointment of losing to Rangers in the cup, the illness I had in '85 are definitely low points in my, my my life and in my football career. But that that was a low point getting let go from Aberdeen. Roy Aitken was the manager at the time. I was actually in my testimonial year yeah. and feeling I could still do a job when Roy had made the decision that I wasn't going to be kept on. I think he felt Stuart McKimmy, Brian Grant, myself, the older guard, their time had come to, to the move because we all got let go really that season. Um, and he, he brought in his players and it didn't really work out for him as time proved, but that, that's another situation. But, you know, that disappointment was was as, as keen as anything you know, for me to take, because as I say, my dream was, was to play for Aberdeen. I got the ch- chance, but I got 12 years. And as I said, after the first week, if I went away after that and get told that's it, that's all you can play for Aberdeen, I'd have been happy. So to get 12 years, you know, you've, you've got to be really happy. But I just had hoped that I'd finish my career at Aberdeen after staying so long. Um, and Roy had taken that opportunity away. So when I went to Dundee, it was Dundee I ended up going to, I still felt I had something to prove. And so when I went there, I went and played in the first division. We won the first division. And when we got back into the Premier the next year, Roy had gone. I think it was Paul Hegarty was the manager at Aberdeen at the time. And, and Aberdeen weren't, they were mid-table sort of position about them. Mm. And Dundee managed to finish above Aberdeen in the Premier League that year. And that's where I felt Personally, and, and no one else, it's not something you wrote in a paper or you would make a, a statement about, but I felt I'd proved Roy wrong and, and shown that I could have still been at Aberdeen for a couple of years. If I could have done it for two years at Dundee, why yeah. couldn't I have done it for another two years at Aberdeen? And, you know, where they were, where they were as a club at the time. Um, so, you know, that, that was nice. After the second year at Dundee, though, by this time I'm 34, Derek, so I thought I've had a good career, a good long career, and maybe now is the time, because Ross County had always been keen for me to, to go there. Roy McGregor had spoke to me two years previous. Instead of going to Dundee, I could have went to Ross County then. But I'd put that off and still felt I could have done a bit more at a higher level. And 
this is time proved that that's how it worked out at Dundee with the two years were very successful at Dundee and some, some great memories with the, the time at Dundee. I really enjoyed my Dundee time. Mm-hmm. But now now is the time to maybe step down and go to Ross County and they were in the second division at the time. Um, and just uh, it's got this impression from Roy, it's a good family club, a little club that's got big ambitions as time's moved on. It's proved to be there in the Premier League now. Um, but in, the, in that, that time we were in the third tier league the second division whatever that's now I think is that first division but it's yeah. really the second division yeah but we got out of that and got into basically the equivalent of the championship so by the end of my time by the time i'm 39 and we get to the end of the story i'm ready to retire you know i've, I've left ross county in the first division and then from there they've progressed to the chat to the premier league and um, so you know job done there as well so i think dundee was Funny thing with the two years at Dundee was in a different way from Aberdeen is, is special. And I think the reason was just that I felt I still had something to prove right and wrong that he shouldn't have let me go from Aberdeen. Yeah, finishing up on Aberdeen, Brian. Pataudry, how did how did you enjoy playing at Pataudry? And of course, it's, it's a big uh, it's a big few years for Aberdeen now with the move to the, the new stadium. And how, how do you feel about that? I think um, personally, I'm, I'm happy that when they're at Pataudry but that's a personal one because of the memories um, probably for the long term and the, and the benefit of the club it's maybe better to go to the new stadium uh, if, if it's done right new stadiums are you know amazing places you can't come back to Brockville you fall up playing at Brockville just now would be a, probably a bit of a a joke, wouldn't it? <laughs> play a nice stadium at Falkirk. So you've just got to move forward with the times. An old hat, old school guy like me with memories coming out of my ears at Pataudry, I'd always I go back to a game, I was there at the weekend at the Aberdeen Celtic game. And you know, every time you're watching the game, there's always something at the stadium you see that brings back a, a flashback of something from either my playing days or when I used to go and watch Aberdeen before I played you know, that, that make it such a special place. So, yeah, I'd love Aberdeen to, to stay at Pataudry if it could have been redeveloped at Pataudry, if that was possible. But I've got that in, information how you can develop a stadium in the existing place. I don't know if that would be a solution, probably not financially. So the best thing probably is for the club is to move to the new stadium, wherever that will be. But certainly for me, and I'm sure a lot of ex-players and a lot of ex-Aberdeen fans, the memories of Pataudry really are quite special, and you'll, you'll never forget them, but of course time will erode it, and that's just what will happen, and they'll become less and less uh, t- talked about or remembered, but certainly my memories of Pataudry are, are vast and, and certainly pretty special, Derek. Of course, when you were at County, you were uh, you started the coaching as well. Was that something you always you always fancied getting to the, the coaching side of the game? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Ironically, funny thing with County is when I remember the team I said I played with was Victoria Park, and that's where County play. So I finished my career where I started. If you like, just before <laughs> the, so that was a, the right in the stars. Way. Yeah, um, so Victoria Park. It's now called the Jubilee Stadium, but. I love a lovely little stadium now, and, and all credit to the club that how it has developed over the years. Coaching was always something I wanted to do. Alex Smith was now the manager at Ross County in two ninety-nine when I was eh, sorry, two thousand two three when I was playing there at the end of my career in my last season as a player. And he was keen for me to get involved in the coaching alongside Jimmy Bowen. And yeah, coaching was always something I loved doing. Uh when you no longer can play, the next best thing would be to help coach players and get the you know, benefit your experience over to younger players. Um, and that, that's what I tried to do at Ross County. I was fortunate enough to get the opportunity to do some uh, opportunities in America with, uh, with Martin yeah. Rennie when he was he was there. So I got some good experience there. Um, and now we've got to a stage at 55 where I was at Ross County Academy last year, but, but now I'm not involved at all with Academy at Ross County or football in general, no no commentaries with the radio and things like that. And so just occasional podcast or a, a, a journalist will phone me up about a game and ask for my advice. That's, that's always nice. But, you know, the football has come to an end. But at 55, I've maybe had a good innings. And so, you know, just think thankful for all the experiences and, um, and maybe my time's up. And 
you know, that, that I've had, a, I've had my, my good, a good innings, as I keep saying, and, and just be thankful for it. Yeah, then I was reading as well that you joined the police force a few years ago as well. Was that something you were you always fancied, or was it a case of just following in your in your father's footsteps? It turned out to be a wee bit like that, yeah, definitely. But it's just something again. I'm glad I've, I've tried. I did the two years uh, training, and 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 it was in Aberdeen. I was based in Queen Street, so obviously saw a different side of Aberdeen. Was in France, <laughs> and, and it was try to keep somebody calm on a Saturday night in Union Street, but. Um, I enjoyed the experience, but I don't think, in reflection, you know, maybe I'm, I'm a, a police type. I was more a kind of, as it's turned out since then, I've got involved with some social work. So more a kind of social work approach I would take. But in the police, it's more kind of hard, hard line. You've got to, it's my way or the highway with the police, and that's just the way it's got to be. Um, and I wasn't really maybe suited for that. Uh, obviously, IT as well is quite a thing. Because you know you've got to record everything that you you do and, and, and whatnot. So there was a few things I, I struggled with, but you know, great experience, and I'm so glad I did it. Um, and you know, I did see, as I, as I say, joking apart, a different side of Aberdeen. Um, but you know, you could diffuse a situation with your football experiences, and people, when they recognised who you were, uh, that generation, it, it was, um, it, you know, I think it did help uh, the situations. To, to make them more interesting, if you like. And, and you get a man who was quite uh, maybe irate and ready to commit a crime, just breach of the peace or something, but, you know, calm him down and, and, and realise that unless the drink or whatever had got such a hold in him that there was no calming him down, you know, see a bit of sense and, you know, diffuse the situation and made a whole difference just having that, the football background uh, to, your, to your, your approach with the police. Yeah, absolutely. Um, finally, Brian, just to, just to finish up then, I was going to ask, I mean, you played uh, hundreds of games in professional football, but in terms of your toughest opponent and, and the best player that you played with, is, is there anyone that stands out at all? Well, I think with international games, these top players were probably uh, yeah. the, the, the guys, Roberto Baggio, Klinsmann, Wow. With, uh, Germany, um, Roberto Baggio with, Holland, with Italy, sorry. But even the, some of your your players in the, the reserves or when you're struggling in the, the to, with your form or something, you, you, you get a really difficult opponent in, a, in an unexpected way. I mean, I relate to Dougie Arnott, my mother was always mm, a difficult guy, yeah. I think, because he was smaller, his low centre of gravity made it difficult when he was turning to keep him in check. So, you know, it would be the big names to sound good, but I found opponents could come in the most unexpected ways about a, a guy playing in the reserves had a great game against you maybe one night and you found that you, you know you had a nightmare you lost three nil or something with the reserves so, and that's not very glamorous but that's the thing about football you just never know as a defender or a player what, how the game's going to go uh, I suppose that's the beauty of the game as a supporter when you go to watch you, you think was it going to be a good game today are we going to give a good account you can't tell on the day it could be you could play a, a, a great game or you could have a nightmare um, but certainly playing against these top players was always a challenge uh, and always a satisfaction if you'd done okay against them. Um, probably to finish with the, the two regular guys that, that domestically that I found a good challenge and a good competition was Mark Cately with Rangers uh, yeah. and Alan McCoy with Rangers. Mark Cately was good in the air but really good in the ground as well, great feet. Ali would always pop up and score a goal, even though you thought you'd kept him quiet for 89 minutes, he'd get that wee chance and score it. And also, he was always telling you jokes, so it was hard to, <laughs> hard to get angry at him because he was such a funny guy and good quips he would come out with. So they were the most difficult, probably, opponents uh, week in, week out, if you like, in the domestic scene. Yeah, absolutely. There's some partnership them too. Well, that will do us there, Brian. That, that was an absolute pleasure to speak to you over the last hour. I really appreciate you coming on. Aesthetic. Yeah, thank you. It's been a privilege again. And, and as I say, it's not every day you're speaking to somebody about your football experiences and career. So it's, I hope I haven't bored them. Oh, you certainly have not, no. <laughs> it's certainly been, it's certainly been uh, nice for me just to recall some of these highs of your football career and, and, and lows and just the whole experience.
Well, that was episode 33 of the Talking Fitball podcast with Brian Irvin. I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks very much for listening, as always. Remember, if you've missed any so far, you can catch them all on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Podbean, and by visiting DerekClarkSport.co.uk. We're also on Twitter, at Talking underscore Football, as well as Facebook. And I hope you can join me again next week for another top guest. But until then, bye for now. Mm-hmm.